Hello, and welcome to episode 145 of Pop Culturally Deprived, where each week we watch a movie I've never seen before, which is most of them, and talk about the good, the bad, and the tolerable, I suppose. This week, we're going to be talking about the BBC adaptation of Pride and Prejudice on your so decidedly below my own podcast. Mandy Kay, and you can find me on Twitter at Mandy Kay if you just want to marvel at everything I still haven't seen. And I'm Matthew Bose. I say things on Twitter that appear to shock people, and we'll come more to that later. I'm at Matthew Bose on Twitter. Yes, yes, you do. Good. Very much so. <laughs> and you put those sort of same things in the outline to make sure we talk about them. Mm, important things. Oh, <laughs> exciting, you know, tune in later for discussions. Right. <laughs> Uh, this week, we are joined again by our friend Laura Stewart Berry, who joined us way back on episode 58 <laughs> to discuss the Thomas Crown affair and the uncomfortable nature of marble staircases. Laura, welcome back to the show. Thank you. I'm delighted to be back. Uh, plenty of grand staircases in this one, too, but used somewhat differently. Slightly differently, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's awesome having you back on. Uh, thank you for coming and doing Pride and Predge. I think we, we will... Oh, oh, sorry, Pride and Predge. Okay, sorry. Pride and Predge No, 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 no. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. I thought that was like the, you know, slang abbreviation. <laughs> no? Okay. Oh, Matthew. <laughs> You're properly in this Regency pronunciation of things now, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good. It is delightful to have you back on for Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> well, thank you, kind sir. Um, did you watch this when it was on? Yes. Uh, I very clearly remember watching it on the BBC with uh, my parents. And I'd just turned 16 uh, the week or so before. So I was prime fodder for Mr. Darcy. Right. Nice. Ha- nice. Have you rewatched mm-hmm. since? Is this one you own or...? Uh, I don't own it, actually. I, I think since then I've probably watched it three or four times. I mean, it, it's five to six hours, so it's it's quite a, a rewatch. Mm. But um, I probably last uh, two years ago was the last time, and then massive rewatch um, this time and joined it in thoroughly. Nice. Thoroughly. <laughs> <laughs> That's all this episode's going to be, just pointed phrases of people. <laughs> Yeah, well, as I admitted just earlier, um, I was a little disorganised, so I did watch five of the episodes back to back this morning, Brilliant. and that probably is going to be affecting my speech. I actually think that's kind of amazing. <laughs> I, I, like, remind, remind me to come back to this if necessary, because I think this really does feel like a 90s TV show and it's not designed to be binged, because some of those episodes, the beginning of the episode is so similar to the last one. Like, they're bringing you up to speed on what happened and... Did not notice. Yeah, I, <laughs> Maybe me. I, I mean, I didn't binge it, but I, I watched it like in two episode blocks. And so I didn't mm, didn't really okay. notice that either. Um, Mandy, Pride and Prejudice. Did you know the story at all? Kind of. So this is one of those books that is required reading oh, in American high schools. Oh, fabulous. Yes. Hmm. Um, somehow I managed to never actually read it, though. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you rebel. Yes. <laughs> um, I 
I, I don't really have a good explanation for this. I also need to, to remind folks that I majored in English in college and so <laughs> took several literature classes and still never read Pride and Prejudice. Oh, <laughs> uh, I am like, ugh. Yeah, don't don't look to me for what a good like a, English yeah. major should be like because it's it's not me. Um, I knew like the first line of the book is very very famous. I cannot quote it, but you know the one about truth, universe, and knowledge. Mm. Yes, yes, that one. Like I know that one, um, and I knew that it was largely about Mrs. Bennett wanting to marry her children to rich men, and then Lizzie Bennett and Mister Darcy clashing and eventually ending up together. Okay. That's kind of all I do. Okay, so broad strokes. Yeah. But the Lydia Wickham, Mr. Collins stuff. Yeah, definitely not Mr. Collins. I, I had a vague memory that there was something weird about a sister that Mr. Darcy had to save her. Okay. But it came out much differently than I was expecting it to. Okay. So I like didn't actually know if that makes sense. I I don't think this is like a required reading thing for GCSE or A level over here. Laura, did you ever study it? Oh, well, I was say even if it was when I did my GCSEs, that doesn't necessarily mean it was now, as that was quite some time ago. But um, no, I I think this was actually my introduction to Austen. Okay. So no, I think I managed to be bored with other things instead in English literature. Yeah, I think. <laughs> Yeah, I think in a reversal, we do things like Catcher in the Rye and To Kill a Mockingbird, you know, the, mm. uh, and Gatsby, the great American novels. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then Shakespeare. Um, a lot of Shakespeare. Shakespeare. I yeah. so so yeah, Laura, you, you and I are about the same age. Um, I was mid-teens when this came out. I didn't really want to watch Pride and Prejudice. I wanted to play video <laughs> games and Magic the Gathering, frankly. Um, and I have this memory of my parents and my sister, who's a few years older than me. So again, exactly the right sort of age watching this on repeat you know when it was on and then videoing it watching it again getting the mm-hmm. video for christmas watching it again this kind of thing uh, and the only thing that i can think that has replaced this is the story that came above it in the best books of all time list lord of the rings that is the only thing i think that is on greater rotation for my parents than pride and prejudice oh that's interesting i did such an eclectic mix oh, two, two of the greatest uh, books ever written Two great adaptations. Fair. I didn't read the book until Pride and Prejudice and Zombies came out. And I was reading Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, and that was my introduction to it. I'm like, I need to read the original so I can understand what this is doing with the story. This was the book, uh, yes. Pride and Prejudice yes. and Zombies, so not the film. Probably mid to late 20s at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I came to it very, very late. However, I adore this. I think it's a wonderful story. I think it's so good. And I think this adaptation's so good. So I'm so excited we're covering it. I am really <laughs> excited by this. I'm trying to rein it in. Because you're here as our special guest, but it's just it's awesome. <laughs> Look, seriously, the amount of notes I made that nice. I have now not put into the official uh, bits you can see. Um, and you're just going to have to cut me off at some stage, I think, otherwise I'm just going to go. Secret notes. Right. Exciting. Secret notes. Okay. So should I tell you guys that I tried to read Pride and Prejudice and Zombies and thought it was horribly boring and like cut out after like two chapters? Oh, really? Yeah. Maybe yeah. maybe now you know the original, you'll see what it's doing with some of the characters and the lines and stuff. Because that was maybe. the thing. I just like, I, I know it has this famous opening line, but Pride mm-hmm. and Prejudice and Zombies, just that is the opening line of it. I don't know what it's spoofing. Right, so, right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I think it's the style, like, I, I really enjoyed the story. 
itself, like okay. watching it. But I think the style of writing is what I don't like. Maybe. Hmm. I think I just don't. Yeah, it's old and boring. <laughs> yeah. To be honest, I, I read the, not the zombies one, the Pride, um, Pride and Predge, uh, the uh, original novel I read um, after having seen this BBC adapt- adaptation. And I couldn't really get on with it. I'm not great at the classics, if I'm okay. honest. The language that I find mm. fantastic coming out of uh, very talented actors' mouths reading it, I just find quite hard work. Yes, yes, that's mm. actually a perfect way to put it. And I, th- I think, oh, we'll dig into this later when, if we do a comparison, but the, the fact that you spend most of the adaptation not in Darcy's point of view, you don't know what he's thinking and what he's doing, mm. whereas the book does give you some of that, gives you a paragraph here and there about, oh, he'd never seen someone move so elegantly and so delightfully. It's like, oh, okay, he really likes her. But it takes mm. ages for that to come through in the in the adaptation, which I think is better. Anyway. Oh, but we can yeah, come back yeah. to that. <laughs> um, Laura has thoughts. Yeah, man, Mandy, we've gone <laughs> way too long. And anyone's listening to this going, what even? <laughs> Do you want to tell us what this is about? <laughs> All right. So I took this one straight from IMDb. Um, and I'm actually kind of impressed that they like distilled it down to a single sentence that actually works. Um, While the arrival of wealthy gentlemen sends her marriage-minded mother into a frenzy, willful and opinionated Elizabeth Bennet matches wits with haughty Mr. Darcy. And that's that's haughty, not haughty. But... (laughs) (laughs) Valid. Valid both ways, but I'm from North Carolina and that's just how I talk. (laughs) So, for a bit of background, Pride and Prejudice is the 1995 adaptation of the 1813 romantic novel written by Jane Austen. This version stars Jennifer Ale and Colin Firth as Elizabeth Bennet and Mr. Darcy. It was produced by Sue Burtwistle and directed by Simon Langton with a screenplay written by Andrew Davies. Whilst it was produced by the BBC, the American A&E Network provided additional funding as each episode had a budget of around £1 million. Wow. Yeah. The reception was overwhelmingly positive. A review in The Independent gushed that injecting into the proceedings a pace and energy which at at last provides a visual setting to do justice to the wit of the book. With everyone slinging themselves about at high speed, the dances in a first for the genre actually involve a bit of sweat. It looks like people are doing something you would never have suspected they did in Austin's time, having fun. When broadcast in the US, critics were generally very positive. However, a New York Times review thought American audiences might find the languorous walks across meadows and ornately choreographed dances of the British production too slow, and People magazine argued it was a good deal more thorough than necessary. This Pride and Prejudice adaptation was nominated for six BAFTAs and four Emmys, winning one of each, Best Actress for Jennifer Ale and Outstanding Costume Design. I'm wondering if this is kind of the start of sort of classic British stories told in, in this way, in a fairly nice way, going down so well with American audiences. There is a through line from this to Downton Abbey to Bake Off. <laughs> to Bake Off. You know, but the sort of the niceness of Brits and how polite and lovely yeah. it all is. And the fact that the critics were like, oh, no, Americans will never like this. They like adverts every 30 seconds and promos mm-hmm. of what's coming up on the show and stuff. This is way too slow. Yeah, not enough explosions. Yeah. <laughs> I I think this possibly could be, but I think it was so long ago and didn't have as much of an impact in American culture as, for example, Downton Abbey did, mm-hmm. um, that maybe it was, it paved the way, but yeah. it wasn't quite there yet. 
Um, mm-hmm. I think having watched and loved Downton Abbey allowed me to appreciate this more. Right. Now. Mm-hmm. Like, had I watched this in 1995, I don't think I would have – I would have found it horribly boring. Okay. I mean, I was 14 in 1913. I, I don't think I would have appreciated it at that point. Okay. So. That's fair. This walked so Downton Abbey could run. <laughs> As to a – Yes. <laughs> Um, is it available in the US? Could you find it anywhere over there? It is on Hulu. Okay, just for free? Just for subscribers? First, yeah, just oh, for okay. subscribers. Nice. You don't have to. And it's actually, it's one of the ones where you can download it to watch offline. So I watched them on an Sweet. airplane. Perfect. <laughs> just like Jane Austen intended. <laughs> exactly, yes. <laughs> so I imagine it's quite freely available in the UK. Surprisingly so. Laura, where could you find it? Uh, the BBC iPlayer for me. Yeah, it's on the iPlayer and it's on the Netflix. So mm-hmm. the Netflix, the Netflix, and I bought the I bought Netflix. the DVDs just in case because they were fifty p. <laughs> so <laughs> they're on the pile to give away later from this year. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, there's a lot of people in this. Some some of whom have gone on to be in other things, but but I, I think only Colin Firth is the really famous one in that. Mm-hmm. What's your experience of Bridget Jones's diary, frankly? <laughs> <laughs> that question made me laugh when I saw it on the outline. Um, I did see the first two. Okay. Uh, I didn't finish the franchise. Um, although I definitely prefer Colin Firth to Hugh Grant in Bridget Jones's diary. I also quite like him in Love Actually. I know a lot of people which, have which a problem with he? his character. He's the one who falls in love with the woman who he can't um, speak the same language. Oh yeah, mm. is there anything problematic? Like in his that? housekeeper or mm. something. Well, I think it's it's the idea he's not been able to share two words with her, and yet he's madly in love with mm. her. Yes, okay, it is problematic. I get it, but it's also Colin Firth, and it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Oh no, I'm I'm there with you. <laughs> <laughs> I had a look at his filmography, and I was actually quite surprised that I've seen very little of his stuff. But he's so well known to me, mm. and I think. A lot of it probably does stem from this because I do remember when I was in high school, all of my um, classmates who were very into English literature and loved Pride and Prejudice were raving about this right. and Colin Firth. And so this has always been the Colin Firth, Colin Firth Pride and Prejudice to me. Like it's not the BBC's Pride and Prejudice, mm-hmm. it's the Colin Firth version. Um, so he's just always been somebody I'm familiar with even though I haven't seen a ton of his stuff. Okay. Uh, apparently, Bridget Jones' Diary is a sort of soft adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. Mm-hmm. I think taking that core romance really? story. So although there's lots of other bits to it, it's taking the core, which huh. guy does she go with, and their feelings about each other. Okay. Yeah, it's the, the embarrassing family. Mm. And um, and then it, I think, is it the second film where there's the whole thing with him coming to rescue her from the drugs problem but not wanting her to know that it was him that rescued her which is kind of a wickham mm-hmm. lydia um echo yeah and he's called darcy yeah. and and the um so the, the screenwriter for this andrew davies even before this he wrote a series called game on if you remember that laura um and then mm. he he's basically gone on to write every classic adaptation since then he did the um kate beckinsale emma he then did little dorrit bleak house and um, the recent Les Mis and so on. He also did, he was one of the screenwriters of Bridget Jones' Diary. 
So he <laughs> properly carved down a niche for him. Good on him. Yeah. Okay, Mandy, did you enjoy this Pride and Prejudice adaptation? I did. I loved it. Yeah? It, yes. it started a little bit slow, but I I was pretty much all in as soon as uh, Lizzie started being sassy. I'm no longer surprised at you knowing only six accomplished women, Mr. Darcy. I rather wonder at you knowing any. <laughs> <laughs> I love her. <laughs> Did the story, so this is why I want to talk to you about the story up top, is did it surprise you? Because there's some interesting movements through this. Was was there a point at which it was like, oh, this is quite different than I expected? Hmm. I don't think so. Are there particular points that you're Um, specifically asking about? Collins and then the, the whole everyone goes off to London and weirdness between Jane and the Bingleys and then into uh, Wickham and Lydia. Okay, well, Wickham and Lydia was an odd story beat to me. Mm-hmm. Even even the way the story ended, where he decided to st- actually stay married. Like, he actually married her and he stayed married to her, which I thought was weird because he obviously didn't love her. No. But, you know, he got money, so maybe that's all he needed. Sadly so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So in watching it, you thought it started slow and then she got mm-hmm. sassy. Where is where is that point? Can you remember oh the, the sequence or what dance were they doing when they? <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it was definitely before. The... Oh, God, I didn't take notes while I was watching this one, partially because I was watching it on an airplane. Um, so I can't recall the specific moment. Like, I know the moment I decided I liked Colin Firth as Mr. Darcy. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not sure when I'm sure it was some scene between Lizzie and Jane because okay. those two together like they would like Lizzie was always so proper and she just kind of tolerated her mom and as soon as Lizzie and Jane were alone together they were very oh, I can't believe that just happened and we just blah 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 you know she was very real with her sister right? and I I think that's why i liked her so much so it was lizzie that got you in this it was definitely lizzie okay yes laura is lizzie your go-to your favorite into this uh, <laughs> it's between lizzie and darcy okay. for very different reasons okay. yeah i re- one of the things i really loved about this is that it, it's basically a kind of a wrong rom-com with depth mm-hmm. um which was definitely very news to me and um, very new to me as a 16 year old um, and this this idea of these um, quick-witted sparring lovers. Mm-hmm. So now, not when I was 60, but now um, it reminds me of Benedict and Beatrice in Much Do About Nothing. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Kind of dripping dripping with sarcasm, but this hidden fondness underneath and that love-hate, mm-hmm. two sides of the same coin and what have you. But yeah, I'm afraid I'm, I'm deeply and forever in love with Colin Firth um, in this role. <laughs> And uh, I just think his performance is amazing because mm-hmm. he doesn't actually say a lot in many of the scenes, but there's just so much expression uh, without moving his face too much. There's so much expressions. I think it's in the eyes and he does something with his mouth. Um, and then there's the sideburns, <laughs> which I thought was a David Tennant um, doctor number 10 issue I had, but it turns out, no, it was from before then. <laughs> but yeah. So, so really Darcy is the, the smoldering element and Lizzie is the, yeah, the, the sharp, acidic tongue with the sweet smile mm-hmm. so she's she's biting but it's it's not cruel 
if you compare her to Caroline Bingley, you know, they both say some quite biting things, but Lizzie is always, it's about someone's character or their behaviour, whereas Caroline is quite often their, their standing, mm-hmm. their, their status or their, uh, their clothing. Um, and there's, there's this humour with Lizzie, which I think softens it somewhat. But yes, I love them both. I, I do like with Darcy. So you, so you get the, the first sequence at Netherfield, the first dance, and he's just very rude to everyone. Um, or comes across as very rude to everyone and everyone starts mm-hmm. not liking him. You then get the Netherfield ball, which for me is is where it all really kicks off. Because uh, that's the first t- time he kind of comes into the story. He actually comes in and gets involved in the dances. And then there is a bit of conversation there rather than just him and Bingley, him and Miss Bingley. And a bit of the, shall we take a turn around the room and tease Mr. Darcy? That <laughs> thing. Um, mm-hmm. But it's only once... He's written the letter, I think, where he talks about, you know, I'm really not very good with social situations with people. I have not that talent which some possess of conversing easily with strangers. I can't lie. But disguise of every sort is my abhorrence. So I'm not very good with, like, people falling over me that I find really distasteful, this Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And then suddenly it clicks, like, that's why he's always staring out of windows. He doesn't know what to say, so he just (laughs) finds a window. (laughs) And distracts himself. <laughs> yeah. I do think there's, there's something that Colin Firth does really well with this, that on the uh, rewatch, definitely this time, obviously you know what's mm-hmm. going to happen, and so I'm immediately in love with him. But he, so yes, he's very stern and, and um, miserable looking a lot of the time, but there's always a slight hint of a smile. I'm sorry, not always, but a few right. times. Mm-hmm. When he's being teased or what have you, yes, he's replying in a po-faced way. But it's just something about the charisma that it doesn't then, it's not then a sudden shock when he suddenly changes. Mm. Um, it feels that he could have been a decent guy all along, but does you say just socially awkward? It wasn't just that he was a git to start with and then suddenly is this um, this wonderful romantic character. And, and you see it in the, the Netherfield Ball that everyone's fawning over him. I think it's Charlotte's father mm. who's like, oh, you must dance. It's so wonderful. Or that's probably even, even mm-hmm. earlier than that. And where, I mean, Bingley is charming and Bingley is effortlessly a nice guy. <laughs> but part of that comes from his privilege of having money and being part of the gentry. So it's all, you know, he doesn't really have to think about everything so he can just be nice. But you, you, you learn these expectations that are on Darcy that he's landed gentry and so much richer and, and has such heightened expectations of his character and what should happen and the fact that everything everyone says to him is oh you're so wonderful sir oh isn't this such a nice place oh isn't this good no one converses with him and then suddenly in comes lizzie and she's prepared to tease him and even when he's trying mm. to be nice to her when he's writing the letter and he's like oh well actually ladies who read are the best ladies so up yours caroline um <laughs> even then lizzie won't like take his side or be nice to him she's like oh yeah but you don't know any nice women because you're just such an ass <laughs> it's just it's yeah. wonderful but he he's insulted her by that stage hasn't mm. he where i think she could deal with him being an ass generally but uh, the whole pride element isn't it the i don't know what he's is he says about her looks but her being tolerable but tolerable, not i suppose uh, mm. something 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 yeah which which then caroline uses again Later on in the book, it's like she's trying to hang on his words. But at that point, he's like, no, I've already talked about her elegant eyes. Or, mm. mm-hmm. I've been meditating on the very great pleasure which a pair of fine eyes and the face of a pretty woman can bestow. And so you mentioned the Pride, Pride and Prejudice, I think is a wonderful title. 
because it tells mm. you everything. And, and it was really funny when I Googled it. And, you know, Google comes up with a list of questions that people are other things people Google about this thing. And one of them was, which character is pride and which character is prejudice? No, they all are. Every single person right. in this is. <laughs> and it's amazing. <laughs> I, I love that it's just everyone you can you can look at and go, ah, they, they like this person but don't like this person because of this thing. And they are mm-hmm. not allowing themselves to see the real thing. And it's only... Darcy and Lizzie that we go to that we say like oh yeah they're really trying to understand people and think about the other person's point of view and but it takes a long time to get there which is why is all the the sass to go through it mm. yeah listening to you talk about Colin Firth Laura is fascinating <laughs> to me honestly because like I understand how you've gotten to where you are with the character particularly as you talk about the nuances of his performance having only seen it the one time though I find it odd. Like, I told you that this has always been the Colin Firth version, right? Like, that's how this has always been described to me, which I found very odd because Colin Firth really didn't do anything for the first four and a half episodes. (laughs) I mean, we would see him, like, okay, he would stand and stare out of windows. Brilliant. He would walk around. (laughs) He would insult Lizzie and then leave. And and that's it. Like, he didn't do anything. Mm. He had almost no lines. And I I could not understand why this adaptation is equated with Colin Firth and why people are so, so, so in love with him as Mr. Darcy. Because this story, until you get to episode five, is Lizzie's story. There's really mm-hmm. not very much of Darcy at all. But then we get to episode five. And I was all in with Mr. Darcy after, <laughs> like, at the end, he was there. It it just, I think it started with him coming out of the lake. Yeah, yeah. Tell, us, funny tell that. us, what bit was it that you liked him so from? Well, it wasn't, so it actually wasn't that moment. I mean, I enjoy that moment. Let me just say, that was a very lovely moment to watch as, as a, a red-blooded woman. It's great. Um, but his, something happened in his character and I don't know if it's just because after he gave her the letter, he felt free to be more himself. And so his the way he acted around Lizzie drastically changed, and suddenly he became a human. And I think that's really the, the moment that I really started to enjoy him as a character. Mm-hmm. Um, and at, at that point, I was kind of wishing Lizzie would get off of her high horse and be nicer to him <laughs> at that point. Um, but yeah, after he started being nice to her and after he had kind of bared his soul about, you know, what was true and how he felt and why he felt the way that he was. And then knowing how Lizzie still or assuming that Lizzie still hated him and still choosing to help her sister and not let Lizzie know, like doing it just to be a good person. Mm hmm. I think is really what to put it over the top for me. Yeah, I don't know if that because he when he comes to the inn that Lizzie's staying in and and she finds out at the same time about the problems of Lydia. I think I think he was coming there to try again with Lizzie. Mm-hmm. So I think then the whole what I love about that scene as well is when Lizzie thinks that he's desperate to get away from her because of her now fallen status right. because of Lydia. And in fact, he's desperate to get away so he can try and fix things so that, you know, he can uh, try again with Lizzie. Um, mm-hmm. 
but I think it'll be interesting because uh, obviously it was so long ago. I, I can't remember whether I had exactly the same reaction to Mr. Darcy. It was only post Lake that mm-hmm. um, I had these feelings and now it's just uh, you know imprinted mm-hmm. on my brain. But it'd be interesting to see if you were to watch it again, whether you would see his earlier scenes slightly differently because of this rewatch definitely just, I there was so much in his eyes and there was, you could see some of that longing way before he actually mm-hmm. starts saying anything to her about it. I suspect I will because the like the first watch without knowing anything about the character he came across as an ass mm-hmm. right mm, yeah. I mean and, and I think he was supposed to but he was mm. like you guys have have narrowed it down to like being socially awkward and I think that is part of it but you don't really know that at first you think no. he's mm. just arrogant mm-hmm. and you think mm-hmm. that he thinks he's above everybody else and that's what I thought watching it but now that I've gotten to the end of it and I am utterly in love with this character as a person, <laughs> like I love who he is as a person and like who he became. Mm-hmm. And so knowing that he is that now, I, I feel certain I would see him differently in the mm. beginning uh, if I rewatch, when I rewatch. I think when you rewatch. <laughs> I, I think it's, it's interesting as well because he actually says, uh, so the, towards the end when he... Uh, sort of proposes to her well I don't, does he actually propose to her again I don't think we see that but they, they're they're getting on she's saying yes my feelings have changed when they're walking to um, Meriton I think it is um, and he does then say about you know, he was brought up with these uh, strong principles which he'd kind of abandoned so yeah, I think he does think he's above um, other people at the mm-hmm. beginning uh, particularly you know some of the people in the at the ball um, and so he, you know, he genuinely does believe that and the whole thing of um trying to keep Bingham away from Jane in part. Yes, he says he didn't think that Bingham's um, regard was returned, but there is also in part that it's not a suitable enough family. And then he says that, you know, Lizzie has actually brought him round and and made him realize the foolishness of his actions. Brilliant. Yeah, It's just, it's such a good, uh, and that point where he writes the letter and and maybe even when they're arguing after the first proposal and he does talk about, you know, I, you know, I think it's in the letter. And he talks about, I couldn't see any love from your sister, which, oh, we're going to talk about that in a bit because that's mm. so well foreshadowed. But he talks about the mother and the sisters and everyone. And, and you, mm-hmm. it's a really 90s way of doing it, but you have Lizzie having flashbacks to what they were like. Mm-hmm. And it's just, mm-hmm. and yeah, even Lizzie thought it at the time. You know, mm-hmm. her, the, yeah. she goes over to stop her sisters at least once, um, mm-hmm. knowing what's going on. And now to know that other people have noticed it and, and someone who... She might not like him and she might think he's an arse and saying things in such a bad way. But at the same time, dead right. <laughs> they have been somewhat embarrassing. Yeah, and, and even the not liking him, she still doesn't want him to have something that he can judge yeah. her on. That she also agrees yeah, with. Absolutely. Yeah. I did struggle a little bit with that first proposal because to me, watching it for the first time, it felt like it came out of left field. Like it was surprising to me that he came to tell her that he had feelings for her and wanted to marry her and i i didn't see foreshadowing for that i mean i knew eventually that's what's going to happen right this is the story of of lizzie and mr darcy but Mm -hmm. i didn't know that he was going to propose so early in the story and it still felt like it just came out of nowhere and i'm sure i missed things that were leading up to it but is it good because of that 
because for Lizzie, it comes out of nowhere. Lizzie thinks, mm. uh, and again, this is, you know, it comes across more in writing because you get in the character's head. But Lizzie's like, I can't see any reason this person would like me. So the reason he's staring at me is because he's judging me. So, mm. yeah. It, I, I think it really works because we, cause we, I think, kind of both from knowing the story and like he has the conversation with Caroline Bingley of, oh, you know, thinking about how a woman's eyes are the greatest right. thing and looking at hers. <laughs> and then Miss Bingley fully goes on the tack for the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of, yes, it's coming, but he, he himself has done nothing to outwardly show it. Right. The thing he's right. accusing Jane of doing. Yes. Great. Because yeah, there's there's a conversation early, and I I don't think they fully do it in in this, but there is a conversation where I think Lizzie is telling Charlotte about, you know, or expecting them to get married at some point, and Charlotte does talk about, you know, happiness is something of a byproduct of marriage, so perhaps you know she should make sure she gets engaged rather than gets happy first and learns to love him. Right. <laughs> and and Charlotte has this yes. whole thing of you need to make sure it's shown. You need to make sure he knows it. So mm-hmm. that when you get to the point where he says, well, I didn't see anything in there. It's like, yeah, yeah, I can see how he wouldn't because they only spend short amounts of time together. But everybody else in Mariton sees it. Yeah. I know. Oh, do they? Are they just going off the mother's, what the mother says? Uh, yeah. And and again, they know Jane because it's a very small village. Um, yeah. But Jane spends, you know, she spends most of the time in bed and then they have a couple of balls. Let's let's say that sentence in a different way. On that basis, oh, I, I honestly, I'm finding this conversation fascinating because because we spend so much time in Lizzie's point of view, mm-hmm. and so we get to see all of those private conversations between Lizzie and Jane. Yep. So it's very clear as the audience that that feeling is there that Jane has deep, deep feelings for Bingley. And and I think that was informing my dislike of Darcy's opinion on that because I was like, it's so obvious to me. Why would you not see it? But listening to you talk about it, trying to put myself in his point of view, I think you might be right. Oh no, I don't. I'm not sure. I believe Darcy oh. because that, there's one scene. I get the balls mixed up and the parties. There's quite a few of them. Um, but there's one scene where um, Bingley and Jane are dancing, and oh, that is the Netherfield. Well, Charlotte's, yeah, Charlotte's father at the Netherfield ball. Charlotte's mm. father, yes. Um, he's talking to Darcy and mm-hmm. Lizzie, and he's doing this kind of nudge, nudge, wink, wink about, oh, will they be dancing? Basically, they'll be dancing at um, Bingham and Jane's wedding, and everyone gets very uncomfortable. Um, and so it's it's this kind of open secret type feeling. Um, so that's why I, I I just don't I think he just said that to um to soften the blow. Oh, interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think I think I might be too much Team Darcy because <laughs> because <laughs> like he talks about he never lies he you know he's always straight and honest and true and whatever and I I I think it's that point that they have spent such little time together and he he has never seen it or never seen it strongly enough except for. Oh, the family's a bit low status by comparison, and like them to throw big parties. So, I'm not really sure about this as a match. Well, I'm, I'm not going to hold it against okay. him. 
Um, we had a really good question, or we had several really good questions on Twitter from at uh, AgentAustin09. Um, we've talked a bit, a bit about the impressions of Lizzie and Darcy, but there was a really good question, Mandy, which was, in terms of someone new to it, is the story too slow? Now, you said that Downton Abbey helped inform some of your appreciation of this, but what did you think about the sort of languid state of those walks across the meadows? And I honestly, I enjoyed it. I did. I It started slow, but once I got invested in the characters, I don't mind watching Lizzie run across the meadow. Actually, I kind of enjoyed watching her run <laughs> across the meadow. Um, I just liked spending time with the characters. So for me, it, once I was in it, I was in it. Nice. Nice. And yeah. another question was, and most importantly, lol, thoughts of the scene of Mr. Darcy coming out of the lake. Now, over and above how he looks coming out of the lake with the, you know, lanky hair and so on. Awesome. Um, <laughs> that's added. That's not in the original. No. That's a new thing. And and it feels like, uh, it feels like the lame is uh, musical film that they added a song in. It's this kind of We've got to do something for people who are fans who are coming to it uh, that we want to give them something more than just an adaptation. And I think it's so well done because it's this really intriguing sequence of like, he's there, but he's not seeing her. Oh, now he's gone off there. What's going on? What what are we going to expect? So is it yeah. just the, the lake scene that's added or the scene of them together at Pemberley? I think him coming... I Oh... And now you're taxing me. But I think it's that he normally just arrives at Pemberley. Whereas in this, he goes for a swim and then rocks up and he's all mostly declothed and dripping okay. wet and so on. So it's, so he came up casually instead of this formal arrival of the master to the house. Yeah, yeah. That, you know, he is okay. now properly without his armor and mm-hmm. and yet on home turf. Right. Okay. I bought it. I mean, I certainly didn't know that it wasn't part of the story, hmm. the original story. Yeah, I was pretty surprised when I read the book and it wasn't in there, I have to say. Because <laughs> um, this is so, for perhaps non-British listeners, this is has been voted many times as one of the most memorable scenes in British television. Mm. Um, and as soon as you say Pride and Prejudice, people talk about the lake. Yeah. Um, and the shirt he's worn has been, you know, shown in various museums and what have you. Um, but I have to say, so Mandy, when you said about episode five being the turning point for you, was it the lake or was it something else? I I don't think it was actually the lake. It was the conversation um, that they had at Pemberley. It was the, the Pemberley uh, okay, scene. Yeah. But the lake is really the introduction to that whole section of the story. Um, and so it's just easier to point to that. But I really think it's when he rushed to change and get mm-hmm. presentable and to come back outside and still talk to her yeah. um, and, and try to get her not to leave so that he could spend more time with her. Mm. And I think it, that that's that was when I was all in with Darcy. So it really was. I mean, I liked watching the, the lake scene. I did. <laughs> but that had nothing to do with his character, his character development. So it, it was the two of them walking yeah, I, I'd, obviously I knew it was coming up. Um, and I really liked the way that they, they cut between Lizzie being in the garden and then Darcy in the lake. And, and you know that they're going to meet at some point. Mm-hmm. But actually this time I found the lake scene really disappointing. Oh. It just I, don't, I just think perhaps it had so much build mm. up. But that compared to later when um, Georgiana's playing the piano at Pemberley and the look. Oh my gosh, that look. Yeah. I'm just, oh. <laughs> 
like yes. fanning myself now. <laughs> oh, yes. No, I, I absolutely. Yeah, no, that look was good. If I had been taking notes, there would have been like a whole all caps thing. Like, <laughs> I want somebody to look at me the way that he looked at her. Yeah, absolutely. Bottle that. And, and, um... Exactly like you were saying earlier, Laura. He's not doing anything different. He's not, you know, being ostentatious or saying anything particularly. He's just sitting there looking at her. And yet it's so vibrant and strong. Like, mm-hmm. okay, this guy's into her, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it makes me horribly, horribly giggly. Um, and that conversation that they have, well, he is stood there dripping mm-hmm. wet. Um <laughs> Where he asks, you know, he he's so stumbly all of a sudden and nervous, and he just it's it's just adorable. Yeah. So he asks after her parents half twice, and she kind of smiles to herself, and I think she clock, you know, she's clocking it at this stage as well. Um. So, so yeah, I uh, I think that bit sticks in my mind. But the actual the actual bit that used to be the the bit the famous bit of him walking up in the in the wet shirt and that, which apparently was meant to be a funny scene. The screenwriter was somewhat surprised at the reaction. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I have to get... has he never seen Colin Firth? <laughs> well, the BBC didn't want him originally because really? they didn't think he was good looking enough. Oh, really? Yeah, but apparently he had to like dye his hair blonde for a, a play right. or something, so he probably wasn't the Darcy mm. we see now. Okay. But, um, but yeah, it was meant to be a funny scene and that, you know, he stood there sopping wet and yet trying to be incredibly mm. formal. And... As you'll remember, I did include my mother in the last time we um, we spoke uh, about the Thomas Crown yeah. affair. And so I did make sure I spoke to her about this one. And one of her key points was there was no way in hell he would be walking in riding boots if he had wet socks. So there okay. you go. And she has a degree in this kind of stuff. <laughs> a master's in this kind of stuff. Oh, God, she'll kill me. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Love it. And, and I think, oh, Mandy, you were talking about how he's suddenly very different there. And I, I, I think mm-hmm. that there is this really strong thing that he is now on home territory. He mm-hmm. doesn't have his armor on anymore, and he's seeing her unexpectedly, so he's not prepared for it. But he suddenly starts teasing her a bit, and he's so much more comfortable. And it's this is this is the yeah. guy who would have been amazing if he'd been at Netherfield in the beginning. But him being at Netherfield is just people surrounding him and going, oh, Mr. Darcy, it's wonderful. Don't you love it? Aren't the women so beautiful here? Oh, isn't it so great? No one's asking him about him. No one's talking to him sensibly. Everyone's just overawed by, there's a Darcy here. (laughs) Matthew's not a fan of Mr. Darcy at all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure which of us is worst. (laughs) I just empathize with him so much. You know, he and I are just... (laughs) I will fight you. I don't think I could oh. ever be as taciturn as he is, <laughs> staring out of windows and so on. Um, there was another question, which I'm going to use to segue to a possibly a larger conversation. What about Charlotte's decision to marry Collins? Do either of you have any opinions on this? I mean, it made sense. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh... Yeah, I was surprised at first, but then and they explained it. Like, Charlotte sat down with Lizzie and, and told her why she did it, and it made perfect sense. Okay. She's not a woman who she's practical and pragmatic. She knew she was never going to be the kind of woman who falls in love. So she made a match. Okay. And thank God she did so that Collins could leave Lizzie alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, uh, it's quite interesting. I can't remember because it was so long ago that I read the book, but I did watch the 2005 film mm-hmm. yesterday for the first time. There's a bit in that, which so I don't know if this is from the book or just the film, but that conversation is slightly differently where... 
Um, Charlotte says she's 27. Mm -hmm. And also Mrs. Bennett mentions a number of times how plain, how, what a shame it is that Charlotte's mm -hmm. so plain, which I wouldn't have said of either act, actress in this one or the um, film that she is, but hey. Um, so in the film one, she talks more about, you know, not all of us have the same opportunities as you do. You know, we don't have the same pick of mm -hmm. suitors. Um, so I don't know if that's from I the book, that but that would explain thing. a bit more yeah. of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as you say, yeah, pragmatic. One of the biggest things from this is I am so relieved that this isn't what you know, Mandy and I have to deal with <laughs> yes. as far as our entire you know, survival being based on what match we make. Right. Okay. Yeah. Hugely so. And, and then I love uh, when we actually do go to their, their married home and her, <laughs> her explanations of how she encourages Mr. Collins to do a lot of gardening yeah. and to do lots of walking and and to be in a separate part of the house so she only sees him a few minutes a day. Uh, she's very practical. Mm. Yeah. Uh, to me, it makes Charlotte something of the heroine of the piece. And and I've been thinking on this because I thought this was just what everyone thought. Like, oh yeah, Charlotte, Charlotte's wonderful. She, she makes Pride and Prejudice as good as it is. And, and I think it might be more down to the writing than anything else. In a romance story, part of the, the like best bit of a romance story is the worlds collide, opposites attract thing you know he's a montague she's a capulet he's mm -hmm. a layabout stoner she's an uptight executive who's also dating his brother spoilers for next week um, <laughs> he's he's the star of the, the basketball team she's a super smart science girl it's that, that you know that's the great thing and in this we've got you know he is proper landed gentry top class she is low, lower status between darcy and lizzie and that's what makes romance novels great because love conquers all. Doesn't matter. There's all these differences between them. If they love each other, they find a way to make it work. And Hugh Grant and Sandra Bullock end up together. Amazing. <laughs> but the real world doesn't always work that way. And certainly in this era, it doesn't work that way. You know, like you say, women needed the security of a man looking after them because they had so many more limits on what they should do because of the patriarchy. So to have included a character who explains that and talks about that so that anyone reading this wonderful novel that has the, you know, fantasy of love or conquers all still has to appreciate it from a sort of satirical but isn't the real world crap because of this thing, I think elevates the book. It makes it so much more grounded that, yes, we can have the love and he's gorgeous and she's witty and it's great and they're, they're together in the end, but also there's crap things around it and we should make these things better. Yeah, I think that's that's a very good point. I think it does ground it. Um, I think it, it also raises some interesting questions about Lizzie because mm. much as she is, you know, she says that she would not marry other than for love, the position that she's in, particularly when it looks like Jane Bingham isn't going to happen, at the start with I was thinking, oh, it shows real strength of character that she wouldn't accept Darcy the first time despite her mm -hmm. position. But also she's got to think about all of her sisters and her mother potentially. Mm -hmm. And so does it show great depth of character that she sticks to her guns or does it show selfishness? Now, don't get me wrong, would not want to be in that position myself, but mm. given, you know, she is very practical in a lot of her thinking. She's the sensible one out of at least some of her sisters to be, what, she's 20, I think she says. She's not quite 21 yet. Yeah, I don't know. I, I have it sort of in two minds. Yeah, is, it, is that her showing her strength of character that despite the massive difference it would make in her life if she did marry um, Darcy mm. or even Collins? Although, yeah, I, just, <laughs> I can't. Like, I, I understand what you're saying, like, from mm. a realistic perspective, particularly for women of this time. 
but I mean, you you watched the movie and you saw Collins, right? <laughs> Like, he's creepy. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> he's creepy. Like He's amazing. <laughs> I mean, he no, should have married no. the chimney is what I'm saying. Um, 800 pounds. 800 pounds. 800 pounds, yeah. <laughs> I, I can't fault her for not being willing to put herself in that position. Even oh my, if I cannot, she, no. even, even if it would have made life better for her family, I I can't fault her for it. No, and and God, and I'm very glad that she no, didn't absolutely. marry Collins because I would have rather screwed up the rest of the story. Yeah, <laughs> but you do, I don't. It's just it's an interesting question that yeah, those kind of decisions weren't just about yeah, it wasn't just a case of she was risking her own mm-hmm. poverty and and what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, as one of the elder sisters, she did have the uh, you know some of the responsibilities as well. So uh, you, you touch on a really interesting point there because the the ending of it, I think, almost one of the last lines. Dearest Lizzie, do be serious. How long have you loved him? Well, it's been coming on so gradually, I hardly know. But I believe I must date it from my first seeing his beautiful grounds at Pemberley. <laughs> and it's just a bit, oh, you, you sound a bit too much like your mother there. And, and I, well, she's laughing though. She's joking. I, I'm, ne- I'm never sure if I like the line being there or not because it feels a little bit. Oh, that's that's putting another spin on it. But you're absolutely right. That like that is a, a legitimate spin on it because she has these considerations. So, it, but yeah. to be fair, I fell in love with Darcy at Pemberley as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's when he started being actually nice to her and they had real conversations. Mm. So I I think that's a great line because it's so layered. Okay, fair. That's fair. Yeah, and and I do think she's joking because there have been some jokes earlier on about the man being far more attractive because of his wealth. Mm-hmm. I can't remember which one they're talking about. It might be Darcy. I can't remember. Um, but but yes, yeah, so I think it's. I think it's. I don't think there's any question, is there, that she's only interested in Darcy for his. No, except wealth. that line raises the question for me. It's just, and yes, I think she does love him, but there's also a link. Oh, but there's there is this, you know silver lining even if he's awful or something but yeah if she has these considerations it's a legitimate consideration i think it's interesting when we talk about even the concept of them loving each other in this kind of age and the way that they actually how much time people got to spend with with each other before Mm. it was decided not so much darcy and lizzie because that's drawn out over quite a long time because of all of the the back and forth but if you think with bingley and jane that was love at first Mm. sight supposedly Mm -hmm. Without them really having much of a conversation, it was it was straight away, um, and I do think there's an element of it is that as you know, as long as they are nice enough and attractive enough, mm-hmm. I do wonder if there's an element of that, and, yeah, and it's it, it's more lust than love. Well, well, I mean, he's pretty and blonde, and Jane's pretty and blonde, so they're going to be pretty <laughs> and blonde together, and slightly dopey and just very nice people. Yes. Okay. Okay. So Charlotte and Mr. Collins, and the Mm -hmm. fact that she's all you know, I insist he goes off and does it. You know, she does disdain him, but to an outward appearance, she's like, "Oh, yeah, yes, he's a great husband. We just spend a lot of time apart." Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. and it's kind of funny, kind of you know, she's she's finding a way to be practical about it. But it reminds me of another couple in this. It reminds me of Mr. and Mrs. Bennett, because Mm. Mr. Bennett. Definitely disdains Mrs. Bennet, if not outwardly does not like her. 
and I'm not entirely sure I see how they've had several children together. <laughs> yeah, that is my biggest question about this match. Um, but I mean, does anybody like Mrs. Bennett? Come on. Oh, I love her. Yep. Really? Mrs. Bennett is wonderful. Well, it's, it's love hate. So is it? I was trying to work out like because we were looking at what characters and what have mm-hmm. you, and obviously there's Lizzie and Darcy, but there's. Mr. Collins and Mrs. Bennett, I love hate in that they are god awful, but I love when they're on screen. Okay. And then Lydia, I just hate hate. Okay. Yes. Because it's a fantastic, I mean, I think um, Julia Swalla yep. does a fantastic job with her, um, but it's just that kind of character where you just could not bear to be anywhere She's near. So clueless. <laughs> yeah, whereas Mr. Collins and Mrs. Bennett are just so entertaining. Mm. <laughs> Um, if you think, you know, there's the scene where um, they're having dinner with Mr. Collins and there's, he's talking about the compliments that he gives to ladies. May I ask whether these pleasing attentions proceed from the impulse of the moment or are they the result of previous study? They arise chiefly from what is passing at the time, sir. I do sometimes amuse myself by writing down and arranging such little compliments as may be adapted to ordinary occasions. <laughs> but I try to give them as unstudied an air as possible. Excellent. And when Mr. Bennett is asking you know, he, these questions, which are clearly mocking him, but he doesn't get and all the girls are laughing. It's, it's just that idea of this, this odious fool, and yet um, we can enjoy him because everyone else gets how awful he is and... Um, and takes him to task without him knowing. That performance is amazing, yeah. though, I think. Him. Yeah, fully agree. And, and uh, on the performance, I, I think it might be the performance of Mr. Bennett that makes me really not like him because he feels studied in the way that Collins says he is studied. Collins is not studied. Collins is come up with a line but has no way, no idea how to deliver it well. Mm-hmm. Mr. Bennett, and, I, and I, like I said, I think this might be more the performance, he feels like he's reading the line. Someone says the line before him, he says his line. The thing about, oh, I've known your nerves of old, they've been my constant friends, blah, 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 something like that. Mm-hmm. He's thought up a really cutting thing to use at his wife at some point, and he's going to say it and leave the room. <laughs> and I don't get the sense that, like, he's come up with it straight away. I don't get the sense that he actually knows what he's saying. Whereas Mrs. Bennett, someone says something to her, and she reacts. She's like, oh, oh, but, but, and then she delivers her line. You, it, it, the character feels mm-hmm. fuller. So, so I don't like Mr. Bennett for that because I think what the the disdain that he shows for other people actually does apply to him in places. I hate the way he kind of bullies his wife and his children, calling them silly all the time, and he teases them a little too far. I think if it's teasing, and then there's Interesting. the the whole thing at the end where he's like, "Yeah, I meant to have a son." so that we wouldn't have these problems. And then when I realized I wasn't going to have a son, ah, it was too late, so I didn't. I didn't save anything for you. I didn't work to ensure your futures. It's like, okay, Lydia's 15. So let's say even five years after she was born, you were hoping to have a son, and it just didn't happen. You know, you've got up to 10 years where you could have been saving something. You could have been working towards this. But instead, you haven't. You haven't arranged suitors. You haven't found people to take care of the family. You've just been hoping it would all work out okay. And then you make a joke about... But, you know, I'm only going to be a little bit worse off each year. I do not like Mr. Bennett. But that, oh, no, but all of that is self-deferential. You know, when he says uh, he, mm. he's trying to make... He, he, I think he really is horrified by what's happened, which is very short-sighted because, as we've seen, Lydia was running wild for mm. those times. Um, 
But if you think if you've got Mrs. Bennett constantly wanting the latest gowns or the latest this or what have you, I don't know how good your saving is. Because he, to yeah. be honest, much as he does, as you're right, he does mock them. Uh, there's quite a bit of material there to mock. Um, can you imagine being locked in a house with Mrs. But Bennett? He doesn't. He and, and Lydia. Lydia. Yeah, he and, um, disappears Lydia. off to his room and he reads separately. It is what Charlotte does to Mr. Collins. He disappears off and he's like, oh, I need to work. Going into my study, you know. Mm. And, and at the wedding at the end, in fact, there's all the couples looking at each other and the look those two give each other is mm. quite funny. Um, yeah, I'm curious to know whether they married for love and that didn't work out or... Because um, there's frequent mentions of the Mrs. Bennett not being particularly well connected, mm. more so than Mr. Bennett. Yeah, I think it's uh, supposed to be, again, a bit of a satire on if you do marry for love and your initial instincts, it might not work out so well. Exhibit A mm. in the minutes. <laughs> you know. Mm. Mm. I think that's fascinating because I never got the idea that he disdained her. Like, he tolerated her, but I felt <laughs> oh, like he tolerated... <laughs> <laughs> he tolerated her silliness because she's his wife. Because he has that relationship mm-hmm. with her. It wasn't, I don't know, I felt like they're very, very different people. But, I mean, he he respected his wife. He liked to tease her. But if he really felt like she was re- completely ridiculous, he wouldn't have set up that initial meeting with Bingley, mm. right? Like, he did it because she asked. And then he teased her about it. But then he's like, oh, well, you know, I shouldn't have done this thing then. Like, he did it for her because she asked him to. And he very much wanted his daughters to marry for love. He was excited that Jane was going to marry for love. Mm-hmm. Um, she, He didn't want Lizzie to marry... Um, Collins. Yeah, mm-hmm. to marry Collins. And it just... I liked him a lot. I liked the relationship that he had with Lizzie. I felt like he was a good dad. Apart from, apart from, okay, okay. (laughs) The line about, I wanted to have a son and I didn't and so my life is ruined. You know, that, (laughs) that actually significantly reduced him in my eyes. Yes. But until then. Situation. If you think about a situation. As he says, he wanted a son. It wasn't just because he wanted mm. a son. It's because that would mean the property would continue and therefore his widow and any other children would be looked after. Right. So that didn't seem like a, a sort of sexist from his viewpoint, more sexist given the, no, the situation. No, but- I, I honestly mm. didn't view it as sexist. I just viewed it as thoughtless, mm. like a little bit hard. It was unkind the way that he said it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's that's really what got me. Like the sentiment behind it, I understand particularly for the time. You know, like you're saying, it just felt like the way it was said, particularly when it was said and how he said it to Lizzie, mm. it just felt mm. unkind. And having done a little bit of reading, because I was, I, I wanted to know just how sort of faithful some of this was. This is a contractual thing. It's it's not a standard societal thing. Some places can be pledged so that they can only go to a male heir. And some can be any heir or anyone who buys it or, or different elements. The the point mm-hmm. this is why they make the point of saying it, his land and his estate is to a male heir only. So this is not necessarily mm-hmm. on everyone, which is why there's this irony of he's had five daughters. 
Mm. Mm. Which doesn't come across now because it's not a thing. So. Yeah. No. Hopefully. I think I think he he felt to me like a good father to Lizzie and mm-hmm. Jane, but not a great one to the other girls because he didn't mm. respect yeah. them. Yeah. Um, and Lizzie and Jane are the two which seem to take more after him mm-hmm. in temperament anyway. And the others, well, Mary is a bit of an outlier, I, I think. I think Mary's really interesting because if if Mrs. Bennett had any nails about her, surely she would have pointed Mr. Collins at Mary. Someone else who is practical, somewhat into uh, theological studies, mm-hmm, and and mm-hmm. would actually make someone to converse with. I th- I feel like she's actually by pointing him at Lizzie, it, it shows that all she's interested in is the husband. She doesn't actually care about the reasoning behind or the person behind it. Mm. Well, I think though, societally, weren't daughters supposed to get married in their age order? Like the oldest gets married first, mm. and then the next one. So Jane was intended for mr bingley at that point so lizzie was the next in line yeah true um and mrs bennett is all about how things look not how things are Mm. yeah and and i think i suppose there is a a question of lizzie being left on the shelf whereas mary has a couple more years to um become more accomplished (laughs) um and the, the other one with the parents and the children I do quite enjoy that Lydia is basically her mother. Yes. And that really comes across so strongly. And and like you say, the performance of Lydia is superb because she's awful. She has no idea what she's doing. And no even and no care yeah. at all as to its affecting. Because you know, the the impact if although to be fair, Wickham did say that you know, the plan was Gretna Green and they were gonna get married. Um, but no idea at all about the impact no. on, on everybody else. And, and when she rocks up, the sudden revisionism of, oh, did you enjoy your stay in London and, and now getting married? As though, like, mm. it wasn't disgraceful what they were up to by by the, right. uh, that Absolutely. time. Oh. <laughs> but, I mean, she's a 15-year-old. Yeah, she, not to diss 15-year-old girls everywhere, but there's a reason now that we don't encourage them to get married yeah, about it. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, your teenage years are meant to be about being self-centered and discovering yourself and what have you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so can we talk about Wickham? We can. What did you guys think? Mandy? You're the <laughs> one who watched it first. <laughs> His, um, he's a really good con artist. Mm. That That's what I get from him. Um, because even... Everything that we got from him, even after we knew the truth, was him still trying to play up this innocent act. Like, he never admitted to anything. Um, And he still (sighs) tried to get people to believe that he was a decent person. Mm -hmm. So he was really, really committed to the con. Mm. Yeah, if we're talking people who revise their own history... You know, and, and any time he talks about Darcy, he just cannot own to what he's done. And then when Lizzie calls him out on it, and he's, oh, but we're still friends. Can't we? Can't we be okay? Like he just, he just will not have any element of shame or disgrace over himself. Yeah, I found it a little surprising how quickly Lizzie seemed to forgive mm. him. 
And even if she would be, you know, they're now related. So I get it that you don't want to keep it going. But even if, you know, she were to be very civil in front of other people, but there to be that, you know, we know she can do snark and with, with it having an underlying, so you understand yeah. that she is um, having a go, but on the surface, everything was incredibly polite. And yet she seems to, that whole brother-sister conversation, she seems to at least want to give him the impression that everything is forgiven. Yeah. No, I found I found Wickham probably the one of the the only disappointing character. Mm. Um, I just don't. I think it's to do with the actor and the performance. I just don't think he is charismatic enough. Okay. Um, even with sideburns, um, <laughs> I don't, I just didn't believe he was just a bit too bland. Given he is meant to be this amazing mm. con artist and everything, he wasn't incredibly good looking. Um, and I just don't think there was enough there for Lizzie to be so attracted to him at the beginning. Um, when she first met him um yeah just a bit meh and I th- I do think he needs a bit more of a kind of moustache twirling element mm. um given the you know the size of the other characters mm. yeah um even if it's not in front of anybody it's just a I, I, I don't know, we just see him off screen twirling his moustache in some way or saying something to somebody that, else that sort of Keanu um, so in uh, much <laughs> you know, I'm going to be yeah. dark and maybe not quite in the background. <laughs> maybe not quite to that degree. Um, but yeah, I thought, seeing as he is the, the villain of the piece, well, him and Kath, uh, Lady de Bourbon, but um, yeah, I wanted a bit more from him, I think. I, I found it resonating in a possibly uncomfortable way, this thing of various people who know what this awful man has done particularly to young women, but they're going to cover it up and not tell anyone, and he mm. does it again and again. And and mm. it really resonates with stories that we hear over the last few years. It's like, oh, wow, this is this has been a story for a long time. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, yeah, so me too. Mm. Before me too. Yeah, I, I mean, I do understand why Darcy wanted to hush up because of the potential impact on Georgiana's yeah. reputation. Um, but it, it's like Lizzie not having told her family, like, hey, you know, that Wickham who keeps hanging around, here's what I've heard about him. But, yeah. but at the same time, you know, her mother wouldn't keep it to herself. So mm-hmm. <laughs> that's true. I want to know the story of Mrs. Young. Because this, so this is the woman that Georgiana was staying with or under her protection or what have you, but seems to have then had some nefarious deal with um, Wickham to spirit Georgiana away with him. And then when Darcy turns up, when he's looking for Lydia and he finds them and there's the two women answer the door and he says to one of them, Mrs. Young. So she's still there as well. Um, oh, I did not pick uh, up on that. What's the, no, I, I was surprised that I suddenly clocked it. So she's still enabling mm. um, Mr. Wickham's behaviour. So who is she? Fascinating. I mean, he does get his comeuppance because he's married to Lydia. Yeah. <laughs> so. Our good Doctor Who connection in Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, Matt Smith, is Mr. Collins. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah. Oh, I can't picture that. I'm going to have to watch that now. And it, and it does, you know, it's got Charles Dance. I think he is Mr. Bennett. Lena Headey is Catherine de Burr. You know, it's, it's got people really? you recognize. Oh, yeah. It's, and, and Lily James is Elizabeth. Hmm. I might have to give that one a try. Yeah, I'm going to have to watch it now. I enjoyed it. When I was reading the book, here's a funny thing. When I was reading the book, um, I was on the chew one day and I had the weird thing of like, 
someone's done something strange around me. And I looked and the woman next to me had leant forward with her phone and sort of taken a photo of the front of the book so she could look it up later. (laughs) (laughs) You're when you're like, someone's taken a photo of me. Something's, what's happening? No, she was taking the photo of the book. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Well, she says she was. Well, you know, yeah. Lady Catherine de Burr. I just want to touch on this a bit because I do not remember her in the story as a thing. I think she's actually not a a huge part of it in this adaptation generally, except for the two particular scenes she's in. But she really comes to the fore in the 2005 adaptation, the Kira Knightley one, because it's Dame Judi Dench. Mm. So you remember we talked Mm -hmm. in Shakespeare in Love about that casting of someone who's going to come and be Dame Judi Dench and, you know, command Mm -hmm. the screen. I think this is a much better performance because Lady Catherine de Burr in this is small and petty and not strong and just is used to to the way Darcy gets treated. She gets treated in the same way because she's the other person who's same status as him. Whereas Judi Dench is commanding and clearly has you know, this is probably with all the baggage of everything else we've seen her in but has some nails about her and is intelligent and lizzie's equal i love it in this that she's actually you just watch you like oh this woman she's just awful and can go away <laughs> i actually hoped that that scene where she came specifically to tell lizzie not to marry darcy mm-hmm. like i actually thought that was going to end up having a twist and she was gonna support it oh it didn't, but that would have been nice. <laughs> because Lizzie's so equal in her Because Lizzie's and... just like her. Mm. Like, yeah, and she speaks her mind. She's honest, and I don't know. She She's not meek. No. But Lady Catherine is not meek because of her status. Right. Whereas Lizzie is not meek because of her intelligence. Mm. Mm. Yes, that's a fair and point. I'd don't get the impression that Lady Catherine is particularly intelligent or accomplished in any way. As she says, you know, had she learnt the piano forte, then she would have been brilliant. <laughs> but Amazing. she hasn't. Yeah. <laughs> so. And yet she mocks someone else for not practising enough. And, you know, yeah. Brilliant. Um, yeah, I agree, absolutely. I actually quite liked the um, Judy Dent oh, version, okay. and I think it's just because it was Judy mm. Dent. I, I was much more um, forgiving of her. Whereas I think this performance, she's, yeah, she does come across as weak. Mm. I, I could definitely see her producing her her weakling daughter, to put it harshly. But there's, yeah, there's just something about her that that's all she has is the um, is the status and the mm. money. Whereas the Judy Dench, probably just because it's Judy Dench, I felt there was, there was more to her that she did have that intelligence yeah. and mm-hmm. and wit not not in the same way as lizzie but yeah that there was a mind there mm. working behind the scenes i feel like if they'd gotten someone like maggie smith it would have come across mm. as a, a slightly different character because she can't act you know mm. yeah that was all i wanted to comment on because I, I i had completely forgotten what she was like and then coming to it, i'm like oh this is this is actually very different than that other one mm. oh, i'm trying to decide who to go to for favorites first i think it's got to be laura <laughs> Have I got anything left? Got yes, I have. I think you've got a lot left. Give us both. Sorry. Hours. No, no, absolutely. And there is a lot to like in this. So um, take us through. What do you love? What what makes this the great adaptation? I go to narrative and story for plot and character. Okay. However, having said that, the production of this really does 
I, I think it was so lavish compared to what we'd had previously for BBC. Mm-hmm. Uh, BBC had done loads of period dramas, but it was very much um, wobbly scenery. Yeah, just was about to say the cardboard walls. Yeah. yeah, whereas this was, you know, clearly because of the budget, because of the mm-hmm. um, American company being involved. Uh, you know, the, the scenery and the costumes and just everything about it is just beautiful. Mm. Um, the music that intro music as soon as it came on, I was just grinning it to it. It's just, it's so, so perfect for it. Um, but so then when we do go into the characters, I just think they're beautifully drawn. And I think the Lizzie and um, Darcy performances are so nuanced. Mm. And then you've got these delightfully over the top supporting characters who I think are all other than Wickham performed beautifully, but are just nuts. <laughs> um <laughs> And the the dialogue I talked about earlier about it, the loving the the quick-witted sparring lo- lovers. But and I was trying to think what else that that witty quick dialogue really um, speaks to me in. And I, what I could think of was the West Wing mm. and Gilmore Girls, okay. which are very different, but it's still that right. kind of quick talking, which to me denotes you know, a quick mind um, and this sort of elegant snark, really beautifully delivered. Mm. Um, yeah, those those first two episodes are basically snark incorporated. Yeah, the whole thing all the way through. It's just people sniffing at each other. It's great, <laughs> but not to the point that I disliked people for it. No, I, well, the people you're supposed to dislike. Cause, yes, because did you know Bingley's sister is a bit supercilious and puts people down? Did you know? Is she? They go to that <laughs> beat a, a fair few times. <laughs> oh, she does good side eye though. Yeah, <laughs> incredibly good. Um, what else I got? Oh, the repression. <laughs> <laughs> my my English roots here, but oh, repressed passion, repressed anger, and building that tension, mm. and so much being communicated with looks as well as all the the beautiful verbosity. But particularly between Lizzie and um, and Darcy, just those yeah. the the looks is just beautiful. Um, and this is something which I completely stole from another review. But this idea of the cinematic visuals and the TV pacing. Mm. Mm-hmm. which I love that because and particularly comparing it to the film where they only had two hours to get the story. Just this idea that we could really get to know these characters over the six episodes um, and you could have that time for the couples to be away from each other and, and, and build that, that romance. Um, mm. I think the pacing really helps. And going back to the West Wing as well, something else that, again, I uh, stole, is um, this idea of that they were always on the move. And that's something that the um, producers and the director really wanted to do, is they wanted to bring um, much more of the um, hormonal aspect of things. And the idea that these were young people. Um, And so this idea of walk and talks, Mm -hmm. which the West Mm -hmm. Wing does so well, and that there's actually quite a few of those in uh, in this one, normally down a, a country lane. But even so, I, I do love the satire of. Shall we take a turn about the room? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they do have a little. They literally just walk around the room, yeah. <laughs> and they start doing that in the office. <laughs> it's so good though, and, and then it is just a. Oh, Mr. Darcy, when you join us, oh no, I'm much better here watching you walk around the room. Like, yes, there's kind of what you're saying there about the hormones, but also him mocking them for what they're doing. It's great in every mm-hmm. direction. Yeah, I, w- I watched a couple of the documentaries that are on YouTube, mm-hmm. like behind the scenes things, and they did bang on about the fact that this was um, the first time that they brought in the bodice ripper elements, right. but obviously with no actual ripping of bodices at this stage. Mm-hmm. And so that scene that they had at the beginning where you've got Darcy and Bingham 
riding their horses mm. um, when they look at uh, the house. And that was all meant to be this idea of, of the power of the horses and everything, <laughs> Great. Um, which I'm not sure I read into it, but that was what they were trying to do uh, throughout. And then as far as lines, there are tons of them I could quote, but I think it has to be, you must allow me to tell you how ardently I admire and love you. And if only he'd stopped there. (laughs) (laughs) If only. Yes. Now, I mean, he probably couldn't. Would that have been enough for Lizzie? Because she doesn't like him. True. But again, would that then have been enough for her to think, wait a second, what's going on here? I'm not saying she would accept there and then, but I do wonder if she might think about it. Mm. Um, Because clearly she's misread things. Mm -hmm. Um, Although at that stage, she still thinks that he's cheated Wickham. Doesn't she? So maybe not. It would be interesting to sort of pose that as a Mm. what if. But but the the whole, uh, both proposals that we see are wonderful. I do love that they're both a little bit stammering and rambling. Mm -hmm not quite necessarily saying the right thing, but his is just so, like you say, like, oh, stop, stop, stop. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yes. Brilliant. Yes. Uh, there was one bit that I don't like, hmm. which I will have to admit to, Go is on. the flashbacks. I found them really annoying and unnecessary. So is that the flashbacks to Wickham and Georgiana? No, or, no, or the, uh, the, the inter flashbacks. The, yeah, the inter flashbacks mm. where they show us something from an earlier episode, where and quite often it's just a picture of Darcy, so we know she's thinking of Darcy. We know she's thinking of Darcy, um, and when he's looking at the piano in the middle of the night after the big uh, piano scene, we know what he's thinking of. We don't need to see her again. It just uh, one the technology doesn't hold up great. It, it's the one thing that looks cheap, I think. And two, it's just that kind of thing. Trust your audience, for God's sake. I think it might be that sort of thing that makes me feel like this is not designed to be watched in a very short turnaround. No. That, that they are getting no, the stuff. And, and some of it's from episode to episode. Um, but it is such a sort of 90s style. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and things like the freeze frame with the credits rolling over at the end. There's a few bits like that. You're like, <laughs> oh, yeah, you can just about see when this was made. Whereas everything else, like you say, the fact it's got all these National Trust properties and it's got these great, mm. you know, the, the, the cameras that move with the carriages. So you can have great shots. Although every so often it goes to a handheld camera. Suddenly the quality dips. <laughs> and you're like, oh, that's straight. Oh, no, we're back to a proper camera. They obviously, I, I wonder if it was reshoots or something. Just recapturing a, a moment. Mm. Yeah, it's some every so often you can see the uh, the, the time and, and that it's not necessarily a film budget so so that's where i'm going to stop myself on the gushing otherwise this will be a very long podcast so is there anything else that you guys wanted to gush about mandy anything for you that we've not touched on i mean we've touched on most of it i think my very favorite thing is lizzie's ability to insult you with an absolute warm smile on her face and you think (laughs) she's being sincere but the audience knows she's not that's my favorite thing she does it so well she does. She does it so well. Um, and her ability to actually be polite to somebody she hates because she knows that if she's not, it's going to be difficult for the family. Mm-hmm. Lizzie. Lizzie's my favorite. Nice. Like, I think I want to be Lizzie when I grow up. Well, is it, is she an early version of the Dowager from Downton? <laughs> Sorry, what was that? What's her title? Dowager <laughs> County Princess? 
something. <laughs> yeah, that sounds likely. Ma- Maggie Smith in <laughs> Downton. I mean, is that basically once oh. once you don't have that politeness aspect to it, it's that character? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Speaks her mind for sure. I love yeah. it. It's great. It is great. And it's it's a shame because Jennifer Ayle hasn't gone on to be... Certainly she's not as, as big a star as Colin Firth, but she gives a great performance here. Yeah, I didn't know who she was. And I looked her up. And it's funny because at first I wasn't super impressed by her. And I think that's largely just because I didn't know who she was. Mm. She didn't have that like star power for me. But the more I watched her, the more I fell in love with her as an actress. Like just everything that she did, I really enjoyed. And I kind of want to see what else she's done and see Mm. if I still enjoy other performances. Yeah, You seem to be forgetting that she was Anastasia's mother in Fifty Shades of Grey. She was, that's true. So that's some star power. That's some star power. (laughs) The great literary adaptations of our time. (laughs) Absolutely. Interesting. Um, she right. was also in uh, King's Speech, reuniting again with um, oh, Colin Firth. Nice. She's good in that as well. Her accent's very good. I actually thought she was British. Oh, mm. that's right. I was shocked when I found out she wasn't. She's from North Carolina. Yep. Who is she? She uh, I knew is. She wasn't British, but she spent some time in London because I think her. That's uh, British, maybe, or the other way around. Um, and so she's got this kind of mid-Atlantic. I, I had to look up right. some interviews because when I read that, I thought, oh, wait a second. Um, interesting. But yeah, I think she's very good. Mm. Mm-hmm. The, the accents is an interesting one uh, across the piece because everyone has got this sort of received pronunciation British accent, you know, the, the classic mm. newsreader type accent. But Bingley and his family are from the north. I think north... East Yorkshire, that kind of kind of way. So they should have a fairly different accent, and but they all speak in just proper British. And I wonder if some of that is to make sure the international sales are a bit easier. Mm. I don't. I don't know whether they'd still, whether your class affected your accent as well, much. That's true, yeah. Particularly, they spend time in London mm-hmm. or in town, as they put it. <laughs> has Has he been coached to drop it? And and obviously, yeah. Darcy with the Derbyshire accent, and that's fair. What about you, Matthew? I mean, you've you've gushed quite a bit about Mr. Darcy. Yeah. Are there other things in this that you enjoyed? So, I, I mean, I, I can go on about Charlotte. I think I've written Caroline Lucas. I'm in Charlotte Lucas um, and Mr. Bennett. As just my feelings on them, but fine. The way we're introduced to both Rosings and Pemberley, you know, these are the two great estates of this, and and I love how every episode is almost a different location. Episode mm. one is is Netherfield. Is it Netherfield? whatever episode two is back in longboard episode three is in kent so on and so forth um when we are introduced to these two great estates we have these long sweeping shots rosings is a camera starting high so you see the house and then it comes down and suddenly the 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 grounds start filling in you see these ornate gardens and all the detail to the conical trees and all this kind of thing which is it looks wonderful and grand and amazing and you can see how much effort has gone into them but the introduction to Pemberley does something the same but it sweeps around a corner and you have these capability brown hills sweeping on you know unending and the lakes and the giant house there and all this sort of thing and it's they're both wonderful they both look amazing but they're reflective of their owners that Derbyshire Pemberley and Derbyshire and Darcy's land is so 
effortless and classically British and everything you think of, whereas Rosings is trying really hard to impress you and does, but at the same time, it's fully manufactured. And I don't know if it's supposed to be there. It's just me reading the name for the characters, but I love it. I think it's wonderful. And Mandy, I'm I'm, okay. I'm kind of pleased that you've been to somewhere like Hampton Court to see, you know, what these estates and lands mm. actually look like. Yeah, and it was really funny watching her tromp around Longbourn and Meryton <laughs> because, I mean, it's it's not too near to me, but it's also not too far from where I grew up. And I just watching it like that looks like Sussex and, and saying to Catherine, like, do you recognise this? And she's like, no, but at the point they get to Derbyshire, yes, suddenly it starts looking like the sort of area she grew up in. And they really do mm-hmm. differentiate what the different lands look like, which is, wow. it's great. It, it means a lot. So it's really nice. Good. As a first time watcher who is also American, I did not pick up on no. that. It just all looked very British. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm afraid you're, you're far more attuned to these things than I. Uh, and... Uh, yeah, I did actually. In one of the documentaries, they would talk about how careful they were to grade the different levels of estate mm-hmm. for the different positions of the, the the people, and the same with the food and the the clothing and what have you. Um, so yeah, very much. I mean, was very impressed by Pemberley and the conversation that they have in the carriage as they're driving up. Um, Lizzie and her yeah. aunt and uncle as to yeah, you know, well, whoever the um, lady of the house. Mm be at Pemberley and uh and the fact that oh I very much doubt it'd be someone we would know oh, and Lizzie's yeah. just sat there um <laughs> I think that's that's a, a very nice introduction to it and I think that's mm-hmm. why it's important she hasn't been to Pemberley at the point mm. of that first proposal because it, it it might have clouded it and it's it, it makes that sort of you know love wins overall much purer that she's not doing it for his money and his land because his money and land is right, pretty good. Right, right. Um, uh, and like uh, you know, we've mentioned the the Mister Darcy at uh, Pemberley and he, the way he's different to her, and it's the first like you say, Amanda. He gets changed really quickly. He rushes out because he doesn't want her to go and he doesn't want to miss an opportunity to see her. And we've seen him sword fighting, fencing, and saying, "I will conquer this." Well, clearly <laughs> he's not. Clearly he is into her, so he he now wants to show off his land. Now he's there. And he goes out and he is asking her about what she thinks. And and she's like, oh, you know, everyone would like this. Everyone would think this is amazing. And mm-hmm. his line to her, he, he gives a little smile, possibly the first time we've seen him smile, and says, mm-hmm. your good opinion is rarely bestowed and therefore more worth the earning. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a lovely line, but he delivers it in such a teasing manner. It's such a little like, yeah, but you said this thing. So I, I've got to like want to impress you and I hope it does. But yeah. also, do you think there's potentially that he's well? Obviously, he's pleasantly surprised to see her there. But is he reading something to the fact that she's there, despite her protestations that um, oh, no, I didn't think you'd be here. Mm. I wonder if that helps him warm up. Yeah, she's she's got in spite of everything she thinks of him, she's still come to look at the estate. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. mm. maybe gives him a little hope. Yeah, bless. <laughs> and then uh, yeah so so because he even references that hope of the, the bit where they're walking at the end and he says oh you know the, the way you spoke to my aunt made me think that or oh, maybe there was some hope here or i could long to hope or something mm. and, and she gives him this really sort of positive affirmation and he kind of turns away and there is this thing of like there's no window what do i do now 
I love it. He's just like, oh, I've got to come up with a different strategy. Oh. <laughs> they are super cute, though. Yeah. Given how they do. I know Dart is meant to be older. I think he's meant to be 28 or something. Mm. But clearly, as we know, he's a bit socially stunted. And Lizzie seems so much older, mm. to me anyway, than I would think of someone who's 20. <clears throat> Um, but the two points, one where he turns up in his, his underclothes and is all wet, um, and it's the stumbling from both of them, and then the the walk where they actually, you know, she actually says that her feelings have changed. And they both don't know where to look, yeah. and it is like they're two young te- well, youngish teenagers. Mm. Um, and, and it really is that sudden feeling of young love um, when you've had all of this um, you know, very buttoned-up repression and suddenly it's all kind of rushing out and they, they don't know what to say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If only they hadn't been so proud and prejudiced. Oh, I have <laughs> never thought of that, Matthew. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. Well, is there anything else that we need to discuss about Pride and Prej? <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't help it. I'm On that sorry. basis, no. <laughs> So the, the, ten years later, they made a film of it with the plain but witty Kira Knightley mm-hmm. um, as Lizzie. L- Laura, I, I asked the question assuming you'd seen it, but you've now said that you only just have watched it. Yeah, I saw it yesterday. Okay. Uh, do you recommend the 2005 movie? <laughs> Dear God, no. Oh, really? Really? Yeah. I mean, I didn't see it originally because I was just... <laughs> disgusted the fact that anyone had dared make a different version <laughs> anyway so i didn't go into you know i was already saying to um my flatmate i i'm gonna have to hate watch this um Sorry. and it didn't improve uh it didn't win me over i was sort of 15 minutes in and oh, i'm messaging no. her from the other room saying oh, no, this is not good um i just don't get is it is it matthew mcfadden mm-hmm. i don't i just do not get him as darcy for me and it maybe it is because I've seen this one a number of times, but as Mandy was saying, just thinking he was just a miserable ass the the first however long, that's how I saw Matthew McFadden. He just there just seemed to be nothing else to him. It was just I am miserable and rude. Mm. Um and mm. Uh, yeah. The whole thing with the hand. <laughs> so Rather um, fortuitous, fortuitously, uh, I think last week or something, there was a big storm on Twitter about which was the best, um, Mr. Darcy, okay. and people, the the people, obviously the correct people, talking about the lake scene and the piano scene with Firth, and then the Matthew McFadden people were talking about the hand thing. So I was looking out for this, and it looks like he's got cramp. <laughs> I just don't. I don't see what it is. I don't read any desire or anything in that. So I'm very sorry for the fans. Um, <laughs> him walking over the malls, I kind of got that bit. That was quite cool. But um, that was mainly about the balloon uh, frock coat. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was not a fan. Sorry. Because I, I okay. think they keep the lake scene in the 2005 movie. I think that's in it still. Uh, I may have fallen asleep. I don't remember that bit. <laughs> And that's just the, like, you know you are not meant to do this. I, I, and they they change what time it is. It's much later in the 1800s. Although that, you know, doesn't affect it too much. Um, but they know they shouldn't have been doing it. They're doing it perhaps because there's not been a film 
adaptation for so long they felt they should but uh, yeah it, it wasn't the right time and to be fair i'm not a massive kira knightley fan right. her performances either and i thought she was very giggly for lizzie mm-hmm. um as much as the you know her younger sisters and i just mm. i just didn't yeah i didn't buy it okay. but i am massively prejudiced <laughs> Because of my love for the BBC version. That's fair. Um, Are you also proud of the original BBC version? I am so proud. (laughs) (laughs) Are are there any other adaptations that you've seen that you know of that are worth checking out? Uh, No. I am really now curious about this Pride and Prejudice Zombies. I think it's on Amazon Prime here. So Nice. I'm going to have to at least start watching that and see if I can make it through the zombie bit. (laughs) Although I'm not Lily James. I don't know. I can't quite picture her as Lizzie. So, okay. No, re- report back if you do see it. I will. Um, and so, are there other Austin or Bronte other classic adaptations of stories that you would recommend? Austin, I think I have not seen it for a while, but the Sense and Sensibility film um, with Emma Thompson and Kate Winslet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember liking that. Uh, not as much, but it's good. Um, and then there's Death Comes to Pembley. Are you aware of that? I'm not. So this was a BBC, I think it was around Christmas when they do sort of the multi-part uh, miniseries. And it's a adaptation of a P.D. James novel, which is meant, it's a, basically it's a sequel to um, Pride and Prejudice. Okay. As like a murder mystery. Yes, and it's a murder mystery because P.D. James is famous for as a murder mystery novelist. Um, and it's all about, uh, I can't actually remember, it's 2013, I think. Um, I can't remember who dies, who the death is, what have you. But um, what uh, I think Mandy may find interesting is Jenna Coleman as Lydia. So that's another Doctor Who uh, connection. And she was Clara. I picture her quite as giggly as Lydia yeah, needs she's, to be. She's pretty giggly. Is she? Yes. Okay. Uh, so yes. And then the, the top one of all of them is Clueless, mm. uh, which is meant to be an adaptation of Emma. Okay. Superb film. Superb. so good. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking up um, audiobook versions of Pride and Prejudice because I, I was reading it, but getting through it slower than I wanted. So I was like, oh, I wonder if there's an audiobook that I could listen to. And in looking at that, I found that there's a lot of books that are called Pride and Prejudice Variant. So people have written stories based on this. And there is a trilogy called Jane Austen's Dragons, which starts off with <laughs> Mr. Darcy's Dragon. So that literally is Pride and Prejudice and Game of Thrones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. So I recommended them to Catherine because she likes her dragon stories. So we shall see if there's a report back. <laughs> There's an audience for everything. Absolutely. All right. Well, if you would like to join the conversation, you can use the hashtag PC Deprived on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing, or you can send an email to podcast at eloquentgushing.com. Laura, it has been a true delight for you to have joined us and entertained us again here today. I have loved every moment. Thank you both. Thank you for coming back. Thank you for bringing something so fun and so cool. Um, <laughs> yes. uh, do you have other recommendations for Mandy to watch, to check out? Well, I have uh, been examining the list that's already there. I think last time I I just listed lots of things that were already on the list. Um, So the two that I'm thinking are Limitless, which is a film with Bradley Cooper. Okay, I've heard of it. Um, There was a TV show that I think spun off of it. Mm -hmm. I really, I enjoyed the TV show, but I never went back and watched the original movie. Yes, I thoroughly recommend that one. That's Mm -hmm. one I've watched a few times. And then at somewhat another end of the spectrum is Hot Fuzz. 
which is part of the I, Cornetto trilogy. Yeah, I've never seen it, but people tell me I need to. Uh, Matthew, what, Matthew, what's your take on Hot Fuzz? I love Hot Fuzz a lot. That has to be okay. a, a classic on the list. Yeah. Surely. All right. We, we'd need to do Shaun of the Dead first. Talking zombies. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, if people wanted to find you, to follow you, to get all the hot takes on Pride and Prejudice and Hot Fuzz, where can people find you? <laughs> You're going to be really disappointed. It's not quite that highbrow. So I'm on Twitter and it's at Laura underscore S Berry. Awesome stuff about gender equality, gender yes. bilingualism and so on. Oh, you've been you've been paying attention. Well I, have, done, I saw that as a word the other day. I'm like, that is a great phrase. So I need to research it. I'll send you some books. Oh, yeah, do. <laughs> <laughs> Pop Culture Deprived is completely funded by lovely listeners through Patreon. Anything you can give, even $1 a month, it gives you access to exclusive content. You can get two new shows. You can get exclusive merch through uh, Patreon. And you can get discounts off our merch store. If you want to help support us and develop new shows, you can find out more at patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. And we will be back next week with another episode when we start our run of Christmas movies with The Family Stone. Yay. Until next time, I'm Mandy Kay. And please forgive me for having taken up your time and accept my best wishes for your health and happiness. Sure. I didn't... Why, why did that trigger Alexa? <laughs> Please forgive me for having taken up your time and accept my best wishes. I bet it's the accept. Okay. Maybe. How odd. Okay. It just lit up in the corner of my eye. <laughs> Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, go to eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at Eloquent Gushing.